Hey there, it's Richard Serrett, occasional weekend guest host of Coast to Coast AM and host of The Conspiracy Show. And you're listening to Wayne and Michelle's Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. Welcome to the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. Coming to you from the glacial dumping grounds known as the Michigan Basin. I'm Michelle. And I'm Wayne. And we are a Michigan-based husband and wife educator and podcasting duo that after having a UFO sighting in March of 2018, have started to examine UFOs and other paranormal topics within Michigan and beyond. Topics include UFOs, the paranormal, conspiracy theories, ghosts, alternative history and archaeology, cryptids and all things strange and paranormal so sit back grab a drink and come along with us on this journey down the paranormal rabbit hole happy thanksgiving everyone happy thanksgiving it is episode 20 michelle what are we calling this one we are calling this episode all things weird and woo with special guest Dave Scott of Spaced Out Radio. Yes, this is an awesome, awesome interview. Um, we go down some crazy rabbit holes and things get a little bit heated. I just want to let everyone know that no celebrities were injured in the recording of this interview. <laughs> so we want to just take a moment and once again... Thank our Facebook group and all of the listeners out there that continue to grow the podcast. So please keep sharing the podcast with friends, neighbors, whoever you think might be interested in listening. Doesn't even matter if they're in the state of Michigan or not. Just share us out. We love it. We love getting stories from people all around the world. And we've got a very interesting story from right here in Michigan for you guys tonight. So this is a very cool one. So remember, if you have a story you would like to tell, we would like to talk to you. You can reach out to us at mi.ufo.podcast at gmail.com. Send us a brief summary of your experience and we'll contact you to discuss things further and try to get you or your story on the podcast. Yeah, we're a little late getting this podcast ready to go because if you cannot tell, Michelle's got the sexy uh sinus infection voice going on <laughs> it is not sexy sinus infection there <laughs> so she's got that raspy uh 1980s female rock and roll singer it voice is. going on I got my my raspy radio voice going on tonight all <laughs> right so just to let everybody know we are also now on youtube so to find us on YouTube, just type in Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters Podcast, and you should see our channel pop up. Please remember to help us out. Hit that like and the subscribe button. And of course, subscribing is free on YouTube. So that just helps us grow the podcast even more and helps out all the algorithms that do their magical thing. Another thing that we have going on now is we do have a small presence over on Instagram. Yeah, I hang my head low on that one, but... He's become we, a teenage girl. <laughs> well, not really, but, you know, let's keep that to ourselves. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, we're over on Instagram now. Just, you can follow us 
uh, over there if you just search up M-I-U-F-O-S-P-E-P. Yes, that's right. My UFO's Pep. It was the only name I could really grab that made sense for the podcast. So once again, it's M-I-U-F-O-S-P-E-P for Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters Podcast. So we'll be using that to update uh, new show information and also when new shows become available, we'll put a link in there and you can get the most recent episode. Hey, Michelle. Hey, what? You know what makes a great holiday gift, especially with Christmas right around the corner? Um, I don't know. Would it be an alien on a t-shirt? Or on a coffee mug? Or on a tank top? Absolutely. Everybody should get some Michigan UFO podcast merchandise. You can do that over at miufopodcaststore.online. So once again, that's miufopodcaststore, all one word, dot online. And of course, you can find all of the links to this stuff that we're talking about, even our news that's coming up here in a moment, all in the show notes. So speaking of that, Michelle, I think it's that time. It's time for What's in the News. Yes. What is in the news? Uh, Coming to us from Fox News, Pentagon launching new UFO investigation unit replacing Navy Group. So the new group will replace the U.S. Navy's Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force, a report has said. The federal government is embarking on a new attempt to explain the unexplainable. The Defense Department is launching the Airborne Object Identification and Management Synchronization Group. (laughs) What? Come on now. It's a name of a group about as long as our podcast title. Well, hold on a minute. What what is the acronym for that? A-O-I-M-S-G. M-S-G? Sounds like something you add to food. All All right. right. So it's a unit that will be charged with finding and identifying UFOs in restricted airspace, officials said Tuesday. The new group will replace the U.S. Navy's Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force, the military said in a statement, according to the New York Post. The Navy's panel was created just last year to improve its understanding of and gain insight into UFOs, the statement said, according to the report. The move comes after the U.S. Intelligence Committee verified a number of unexplained aerial sightings earlier this year and admitted it could not explain the phenomenon the Post reported. The Defense Department said it takes the subject of airborne objects very seriously, whether the objects are identified or not. So nearly 150 UFO sightings have been investigated by the government since 2004. The Post reported most of those sightings were unrelated to secret government programs. The Navy task force wrote in a report, according to the Post, the newest UFO related initiative will attempt to upgrade policies, training and technology related to the investigation of UFOs. The newspaper reported. So we have a new group, folks, with a very, very long acronym. And they're going to do probably the same exact thing. Tell us what we're not seen. We don't know what they are. 
but let us look and let us take years to investigate. Right. Be looking for the report next year. We'll get back with you. Oh, uh, well, anyways, well, you know, again, it sounds like they're going to be looking into things more recent. And I don't see anything stated about going back and looking over the last 70 years into these previous reports or what Project Blue Book was even looking into and things like that. So I don't know. We'll see. But apparently the Navy got fired. All right, Michelle, let's go ahead and get into some shout outs. All right. First up, we have Christina Gomez and the Shifting the Paradigm podcast. This podcast features a weekly interview and chat show that focuses on a wide variety of mysterious topics related to UFOs and UAP sightings and the possibility of alien visitation in the present and the past. Christina Gomez interviews researchers, witnesses, enthusiasts, and field investigators on their own pursuits of the truth behind the mysteries. Also included is Christina's new show called Mysteries with a History, where Christina will be covering a wide variety of topics from unexplained disappearances to UFO sightings to encounters with bizarre creatures and so much more that can come underneath the umbrella of the extraordinary, the strange, the paranormal and the supernatural Next, we've got the Lost in the Dark podcast hosted by Burton and Aaron. This is a pretty cool podcast that bills itself as an attempt to capture incredible conversations between best friends as we explore all of our passions, but especially music in the world of heavy metal. So if you're into paranormal investigations and loud heavy metal music, give them a listen. Strong language, but it's heavy metal and the paranormal. What else would you expect? Next, we have the Band of Bearded Brothers, or B-O-B-B. This is hosted with Micah and Big Willie. We are just two brothers with beards who enjoy good conversation, coffee, and debating the great mysteries of the world. This includes, but is not limited to, politics, aliens, reality, human control, and manipulation through many outlets. Are you sure your reality is real? Are you sure what you believe is? to be true is true will we be a multi-planet species soon will ai rule the world in the next 10 years elon musk thinks so will we be able to live through our consciousness being downloaded for hundreds of years to come are we already part cyborgs and unaware these, among many other things, will be discussed with a lighthearted and open-minded process that focuses on facts when they are available. Obviously, with the fringe topics, there will be mainly hypothesis and facts where they are, present themselves. Proceed with caution. You may not be able to handle the truth. And finally, we go across the pond to the UK and give a shout out to Phenomena Magazine the world's most recognized e-zine of its kind. The magazine investigates the whole realm of the strange, profound, unknown, and unexplained, delving into paranormal, UFOs, cryptid, parapsychological, and 14 events. The magazine can be downloaded every month for free in PDF format. Check out the show notes for a link to the magazine. All right, we're going to go ahead and jump right into Communication Corner. But just as a side note to this, 
things have really been uh, happening here in Michigan, especially in the southeast part of Michigan, where we're getting some incredible sightings, even something that we witnessed ourselves. And this letter comes from somebody who had the same experience and witnessed the same craft or possibly crafts. Like an aerial orb. Yeah, very cool. So, Michelle, why don't you take it away with Communication Corner? All right. Well, we've got a story here from Onyx. And I'll tell you, he's definitely got some uh, deep thoughts in on this one as yes, far as does. with his writing. So, Onyx says, I've always been interested in why we search our stars and seas the way that we do. With 80 or 95%, depending on who you ask, um, of the world's oceans still unexplored and so much controversy around life beyond the stars. I've always admired personal experiences too vivid to forget. Driving has always brought calm to me. I'm not in a sports car. I still enjoy a cruise every chance I get, day, night, a purposeful errand or a drive on my lunch break to clear my head all feel the same. On occasions, however, I do notice the light of the moon making me feel very different from the daylight hours. On many occasions, I've pondered on the safety and security we feel under the sun's bright rays and the shaded blue of the Earth's sky. It is only under the stars and the moon where we are reminded of how small we are, how limited we are. My sunroof is my favorite part of my car. Comes in handy during the summer, but stargazing takes the cake. Earlier this month, November 2021, I was driving from Ypsilanti to Livonia at night around 8 p.m. I was listening to music, smoking a cigar, and looking up at the beautiful night sky with the occasional fixed stare straight out of my sunroof and into the abyss above. The acrobatic task is something I've done many times and never take lightly. The amount of trust, focus, and skill needed provides only one short moment of free-fall observation. This particular moment went exactly as described. Staring out of the windshield and driver window while listening to music, I sang along and prepared myself for a glance like normal and prepared my direction to remain straight with my arm extended. While looking up, I fixed my view to look beyond the barrier or the sunroof rim. Speeding from behind my line of sight shot a white glowing stream, faster than a shooting star, but too straight to be falling from behind me going forward. While darting forward, the white light changed to a magnificent pink, purple, red, magenta color all in one that glowed. The color combination was so perfectly blended and soft, I will never forget the image. The soft pink orb then became black with a white halo around it and then completely white again while moving beyond any speed I've ever witnessed from over me forward. Too fast to be anything from this earth revealed to human eyes of the masses. As a frequent stargazer, all I could verify was it was with certainty not a star or an asteroid. The experience shook me, excited me, and humbled me all at once. After screaming at the sky and waiting to see if anything else would occur, I thought about making a call to tell someone. 
Another part of me remained silent and felt honored to have witnessed it enough to sit in it for a moment. The experience of seeing an unidentified flying object is personal because relaying the experience is hard to believe for some and impossible to believe for others. One thing I know without a doubt is that we are spirits trying out a human experience rather than the other way around. Open fields of Kansas and Missouri, Maui, Hawaii, Porcupine Mountain in Michigan's Upper Peninsula, St. Thomas of the West Indies and many more have all been places I've taken time to observe and hope to see something in the beautiful stars above. What I've come to learn in all my hopeful gazing is that it's the unintentional glances, perfectly timed observations, and remarkable happenstances that are the ones that make up the puzzle piece of being here. I did call someone when I settled myself. I also took the time to write this out and pass it along so I can say, even if nobody cares to believe me, the universe, God to us, is too big to wrap up and we are one of the blessed species in the universe, but not the most high, without a doubt. All of us under one cosmic drama. No accidents occurred or tickets issued in the event of this experience. This experience happened on November 7th, the same day, that was a Sunday, that we were getting our Facebook all excited and lighting up with calls of a ufo some kind of light moving around and videos started showing up flashing or flashing right down river hamtramck area i know that there were sightings and Um, we saw it too south park allen our southgate allen park um and it was when i had went to get something out of the car that over the the treetops the same thing yeah, we Not, saw it in the western sky, zipping around, but it was far away, but it was zipping around the sky, doing weird things and changing colors. And then just disappeared. Yeah, very, very bizarre. The and next night, not there. Next night again, not there. So. And then let's go ahead and go to last night, November 23rd. Same person sends that you just heard the letter from sends a message saying that they see a very large triangle craft. And so we put the call out there. I went out to our driveway and sure enough, there was at least one orb out there zipping around. But since we're by Detroit Metro Airport and it was a nice clear night last night. The airplanes were coming out of the airport like crazy. So it was hard to discern what, you know, we were seeing versus the lights and the strobe. I could make out something moving around in the western sky, which would put it over toward Ypsilanti. And when he says he's driving from Ypsilanti uh, toward Livonia, he's on a west to east trajectory, probably on I-94 or... Uh, maybe 696. Yeah, and not sure what's going on over at Willow Run Airport either. Well, it looked further than that, though. It honestly did. It looked further than that. But Well, we wait and see what sort of stories come in. I'm sure that Onyx's experience is not the only one.
Oh, for sure. And and please let us know. Send us an email. Shoot us a text on Facebook and any evidence that you happen to catch with these things as we're getting into these winter months. We're getting closer and closer to that lovely month of March. And we'll see if the triangles show up like they seem to do in this state around March sometime. So we'll see. Well, I think it's time for us to get over to the interview with Dave Scott. I agree. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Dave Scott? Well, for those who don't know, Dave Scott is the creator and host of Canada's Spaced Out Radio, running Monday through Friday nights at spacedoutradio.com. A former radio journalist, Dave graduated with a diploma in broadcast communications from one of Canada's top broadcasting schools, BCIT, in 1998. Dave then spent nearly 10 years in radio, mostly working in sports, before leaving the field to pursue other interests. Dave's personal quest into the unknown started in December of 2011, when he had contact from what he calls the angel of death that he saw in his mother's eyes which led to his first channeling experience. After this incident, Dave's personal experiences started becoming more frequent. Paranormal experiences, premonitions started coming true, a Bigfoot sighting with two of the creatures within 100 feet of him. UFOs started appearing anytime he wanted, even though Dave had no idea what summoning was personal sightings of five extraterrestrial species, one who he's nicknamed Carl. On November 30th, 2014, Dave launched Spaced Out Radio. Dave's near decade as a journalist helped him craft his style of interview, making it comfortable and personal for his guests and listeners alike. He looks at himself as one of the only trained and experienced radio journalists who is also a, a multiple experiencer of the unknown. Join Dave live from 9 p.m. till midnight Pacific every weeknight. And Dave Scott is the one who uh, we were on his show just about a week ago. Yes, that was very cool. And if you do want to see that show, you can actually watch that radio show by going to YouTube and just search for us on Weird in Michigan, UFO Sightings, Chasing Monsters and Ghosts. That's the way they put the title into the show. Um, but look up Spaced Out Radio, Wayne and Michelle Braden, and you will find us. It was streamed live on November 13th. So definitely go give that a, a listen and a watch. And yeah. uh, well, you'll also find out that apparently Michelle is Dave's mom's doppelganger i'm a doppelganger so apparently she from like looks 40 something years ago right according to dave she looks like his mother from about 40 years ago and he was kind of uh taken back by it so we're waiting for pictures to show up one of these days from dave that proves that michelle has an older doppelganger out there That's in the hilarious. form of dave's mom <laughs> oh, there, there you go. We're in conspiracy theories, so. Right. And we do talk about all kinds of conspiracy theories and. Well, you know what? Let, celebrities. Let, and, let's not take much longer. We got to get, right. we got to get to this interview. With all right. So here he is, the man himself, 
the one and only Dave Scott. Tonight, our guest comes to us from the wild yet beautiful area of British Columbia on the west coast of Canada. He is an experiencer, a researcher, the host of the amazing late night radio show, Spaced Out Radio, and he definitely owns the night. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Dave Scott. Dave, thank you for joining us. Hey, thank you so much, guys, for having me. Uh, Wayne and Michelle, we just recently had you on Spaced Out Radio as well. You guys were absolutely amazing. So the fact that, you know, we can now reverse the entire interview phenomena here, let's do it. Let's have a good time here. I was going to say, we get to talk to you again. I'm excited too. Yeah, absolutely. You were uh, nice enough to have us on. We figured we got to get you on. And I have never seen you interviewed before. So I figured this would be really cool to have you on to share some of your experiences and a little bit of uh, history about how you got into this. So starting with that, would you like to tell our audience a little bit about yourself and how you eventually ended up launching Spaced Out Radio in 2014? Sure. I was a uh, sports journalist in Vancouver, and I I got my education. in broadcast journalism, where I really wanted to turn it into a sports career. But I mean, in 2007, I left radio for, for uh, uh, greener pastures because I wanted to know what it was like to have food on my table and gas in my tank at the same time, you know, and I got real sick and tired of saying to my daughter, no, 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 no. Because the one thing, if anybody knows about terrestrial radio, it's a fantastic career. It's a beautiful career, but you almost consider yourself a pseudo celebrity because everybody knows who you are, but you sure as hell aren't paid like a celebrity. So, I mean, it got to the point where I just couldn't afford to do the job anymore. And it it really affected me and what I was doing. And, um, and I made the career change and, and, you know, I didn't really start having any experiences until later on in life. Like I, it wasn't until 2013, six years after I got out of radio that my own personal experiences really took off and what caused it. I really don't know. I have no idea. I fired up spaced out radio on November 30th, 2014 when we were uh, getting, you know, I had had a friend of mine who had known that I was in broadcasting and, and he really kind of pushed me to, to do a talk show because with all the experiences that I was having, um, which was a multitude of not only UFOs, but paranormal, uh, in that time frame, uh, I, I was practicing channeling. I was practicing astral travel. I was practicing, uh, all sorts of, uh, wild and crazy stuff and seeing wild and crazy stuff, drug free and psychedelic free. And I just didn't find the answers to the experiences I was having, uh, you know, Googling them or reading them or buying books or, or watching the television shows. And so a friend of mine's like, why don't you, why don't you do radio, man? And I'm like, I'm like, dude, you just can't walk into a radio station and say, hey, I want to start a radio show. I said, that's not how it works. It's, and he's like, come on, man. He's like, there's this whole digital format. Like when I left radio, a lot of people don't understand. When I left terrestrial radio, 
I left terrestrial radio for good. Like I cut it right off. I was so heartbroken that I had planned for this great long career and that I had left it. I just didn't want any memory of it. And I, I just left. And so when I left, I didn't realize this entire phenomena of the internet was really taking off in digital broadcasting. So when my friend uh, kind of kind of pushed me towards digital broadcasting, yeah, I'll give it a try. What the heck? And here we are seven years later and we're still going strong and we've grown into one of the, the biggest uh, radio shows in North America. You know, we're, you know, we're independent. We have, we have uh, created a broadcast where we're on six different radio stations across North America. And, you know, it may not sound like a lot, but if people knew how hard it is to actually get on radio, uh, terrestrial radio broadcasting, it is very difficult. And, you know, we've started putting a lot of our push in places like YouTube and Twitch. And, you know, recently we've started up TikTok, which I don't know if I still like or not, but, you know, you just got to keep going. You got to keep growing and you have to keep pushing. There is no choice. And, you know, the medium is the one thing that I've learned through this entire adventure, never mind all the high strangeness that goes on, but in, in the, in the social media world, it doesn't stop. There's always something that you have to do. And, you know, graciously, we've been able to have a little bit of success with that. It's been amazing to watch your show and uh, listen to your guest. It's just uh, really blows me away every time I, I watch your show because man, when I, if I would have been a little kid after watching like in search of and stuff, if I could have listened to like your show afterwards, I would have been into this stuff a lot more sooner than having to have our own experience in 2018. uh, that kind of drew us into this whole thing. But uh, yeah, your show is, is absolutely amazing. The guests you have are amazing. So um, I'm really happy that we had a chance to get on there and, and to now have you on with us. Another question I had for you was, can you give us an idea what made you get into learning more about UFOs, UAPs yeah. and the, the, pheno- you know, that kind of paranormal and phenomenon? Absolutely. Uh, you know, like everybody back in the day, we were all influenced by Art Bell and then eventually George Dory. And, you know, I remember sitting in my radio station at night and the other radio station in Vancouver, one of the other ones would be playing Art Bell at night on Coast to Coast AM. And we'd have it like playing in the background of our own radio station so we could hear the weirdness of it all. And, you know, every night I drove home from the radio station, it was, okay, back on to Coast to Coast. So I always had an affinity for this type of subject matter. I didn't know if it was true. I wanted it to be true. All right. At that point, I had seen my first UFO when I was 21 years old. And I didn't see anything for a number of years after that. Uh, You know, I had lived in a haunted house. I worked in a haunted building. So I was very much in tune that, you know, ghostly happenings can occur. So, I mean, there were all these little instances that kind of, you know, led me to believe that this phenomena is real and you know as for the broadcasting side of things it the, the easiest answer that i could give 
is it was because I was having experiences that a lot of other people were having, but mine were always a tad different. So for instance, you know, when, when I saw, the, I've seen two black triangles, the first black triangle I saw, the entire undercarriage was lit up. But if I go on Google or YouTube or, or wherever to look at black triangles, all you ever hear of is the three dots on the corner and maybe the odd one that has a glowing light at the center of it, but not the entire undercarriage that was lit up. So it was little instances like that that really pushed me to say, well, how come mine are different? Why am I experiencing things differently? And I did I didn't like the fact that I wasn't finding the answers. And this going back to my friend, when we started Spaced Out Radio, he, he's like, dude, interview the people. You're a natural at it. That's what you did for 10 years was interview people. And I thought about it. And I'm like, yeah, I, I can do this. I, I kind of know how to do this. And that's, that's how it, it's kind of grown. But the more you get into this, the less you realize that, there are answers. And that's the hard part is realizing that there are very few answers to millions of questions, not thousands of questions, millions of questions. And everybody's experience seems to be just a tad different. It's like you hear these stories where you'll get a group of people, say you got four people and two of them will see a UFO and the other two looking in that same area see absolutely nothing. And then yeah. the argument starts. Well, how come you can't see it? It's right there. Oh, you guys are playing like fools here. You know, and that's where the argument starts. Well, why did those two people see it and the other two didn't? You know, it's little questions like that that make zero sense to me regarding the phenomena. And it's almost like the phenomena is picking and choosing what they will show people when they're when they're going to be experiencing events that can't be explained i don't get it i don't understand it i'm not even trying to understand it because there are so many different questions out there well and that's like us when we saw our experience it's like do they just pick two teachers at random it's like here you've got a couple people traveling at 2 30 in the morning oh they're educators so let's go ahead and you know show ourselves but i have a question for you dave you said you saw the, the underside of the one triangle. Can you describe that? Sure. Uh, so this was back in, oh, goodness, I think May of 2013. I uh, Stupid things were happening to me that I didn't understand. And to this day, I still don't understand. So I had contacted my buddy, uh, I said, hey, what are you and your wife doing tonight? And he's like, not much. I said, why don't you guys come over to our house? It's supposed to be a nice, warm spring evening. Come over to our house and we'll have a couple of beers. I'll set up the fireplace because I, I have a portable fireplace that we would light up on my patio. And I said, we'll watch some UFOs fly by. What? He's like, UFOs, are you serious? I said, yeah, I got a feeling we're just going to see some UFOs tonight. And he's like, all right, let me get back to you. Talks to the wife. He calls me back an hour later. Yeah, we're going to we're gonna make our way over. He goes, are you serious about the UFOs? I said, I don't know. I just feel it. 
I mean, this is the way I was kind of taking things right at that time. And so they arrive at our house. We, I set up the fire, got the beer going, got the music going on the, on my patio. And we're just kind of hanging out. It was about nine 30 or nine o'clock when it started to get dark. And then about nine 30, I kind of looked up into the sky and I said, Whoa, what the hell is that? And I pointed to the Southeast and we watched three of us, my, my friend, his wife and myself watched this, this gold cigar shaped object with silver orbs on each end of it, kind of looking like a dumbbell go streaking across the sky from Northwest to South, or pardon me, from Southeast to Northwest. And we were like, Whoa, that is cool. My friend's wife, she grew up Catholic. She is freaking out, realizing that there is all sorts of danger with, with all this and the demons and so on and so forth. And, and I'm like, okay, like this ain't, this is cool. What the hell is that? My friends are like, what the hell was that? I said, Hey, I told you we were going to see a UFO tonight. And they're like, wow, like this is incredible. Like what is going on here? So the weird part about it was I said to them, I don't think we're done. I think we're going to see more. And we're like, really? Yeah. And they're like, really? And I'm like, yeah, man. So we're like, okay, fine. So like half an hour later, you know, when you take a sip of your beer bottle, you kind of tilt your head back when you yeah. take a sip. Okay. I, I do that. I take a sip of my beer and I tilt my head back and my eyes capture something above us, above the house. And I, I put my beer down, I swallow it, and I look up and I said, what the F is that? Oh, my God, what the F is that? And my friend's like, what, what? And I pointed up, I looked up, and we started freaking out because sitting above us, a couple thousand feet above us, there is this giant black triangle, and the entire undercarriage is lit up by orange rods connected by silver orbs the same orange rod and the silver orb that we had seen an hour earlier and now here it is above my house three of us are looking at it and we are freaking the heck out and my friend's wife who's catholic she got so scared she actually dropped to her knees and started covering her head because she didn't want them whatever it was to see her and so we watched it and it started flying north ever so slowly. And the funny part about it was there was no sound. And it was like a door all of a sudden opened in the sky because the front of it started to disappear. And then a little bit more started to disappear. And then eventually the entire craft disappeared. Like it flew through a doorway and then the door closed. It was unbelievable unbelievable to have that happen wow hey speaking of doorways do you we, you were talking about listening to, listening to art bell and george nori back in the day do you think listening to them and saying that you wanted to believe do you think that you you might have opened a doorway to open yourself to these things no no uh my entire incident uh, started on December 13th, 2011, when I saw the angel of death in my, in my mother's eyes. 
And before I get to that story, uh, I want to preface this to your audience and anybody who is listening, uh, even you, even yourselves. I don't care if you don't believe me. All right. Uh, you know, over the years when I've told my stories, I've seen people be wowed by what I've seen, be wowed by what I've experienced. But lately, as this phenomena and people, people's interest in this phenomena uh, continues, there's become a real more uh, snarky sense of uh, belief where people get a little bit more rude out there saying, oh, this guy's just making it up for ratings. This guy is just making it up for to build his character up for his radio show. You know, I've heard all the excuses. Let me tell you something. I would rather have my happily boring life that I had before right. without a radio show, without any of these experiences. People have, I'm going to open up here to you guys a little bit. Okay. Yep. People have zero clue what it's like to live a day in my life. All right. I, the radio show here doesn't really pay. Okay. I make $0 off the radio show. I do it because it's something I feel I need to do. But in reality to everything, I wish I didn't have to do it. I love it. I love our listeners. I love watching it grow into this, into this little mini empire that I've created, which is fantastic. All right. But if I could have my happily boring life back where I could go to bed at 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night, watch the sports highlights, catch up on the NHL, the NFL, hang out with my friends, not miss birthdays, not miss school events, not miss my children when they're, you know, in uh, taking, uh, you know, even picking them up from a, from a friend's house. I would give it up in a second if I could do that. I really, I really do. And people don't understand. Okay. My day usually starts at seven o'clock in the morning. And my day ends at 1 a.m. each night. 1 a.m. Yeah. I couldn't so, agree more. There does seem to be this, this nastiness from people that haven't had the experience. Or, I mean, we haven't experienced this, but then there seems to be some infighting within the different, I don't know, paranormal groups out there. Or oh, yeah. who knows what or... It's Stephen Greer versus somebody else or whatever the case may be. And that's yeah. one of the things Michelle and I started our Facebook group for after we had our sighting was just to give a place for people to come in and relate their stories. Yeah. You know, are they true Absolutely. or not? You know, it doesn't matter. Get, yeah. it off, get it off your chest. But I mean, all we have right now is this anecdotal evidence to go off of. And just like you said, myself i don't care i don't care if you don't believe us yeah and then don't listen don't talk to me about it or whatever but don't go out of your way to disagree with us or to say disparaging things because absolutely it doesn't do anybody any good well oh. no no matter what the subject there's always skeptics so it doesn't matter if it's anything UFO or UAP related. It could be, you know, at, I mean, anything. Politics. You know, what, politics. I mean. <laughs> what's the best book to read? Everybody's got an opinion. Yeah. So, and Absolutely. we know the phrase. We know the phrase that goes with that, but we're not <laughs> not going to put it out there. 
we know what everyone has. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I, I mean, you know, you hit the nail on the head. We become so critical of everything because of the popularity, especially of UFOs. It doesn't help when you get, you know, these ghost teams on television claiming, you know, they're creating scientific investigation right. of paranormal when there's nothing scientific about what they're doing. You know, you, you get these uh, cryptid people out there who claim they're 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 doing scientific investigation into Sasquatch or Dogman, but yet they're leaving out evidence like the BFRO. Uh, here's an interesting fact for you if you don't know it already. The BFRO out there has been caught editing, uh, I, and I know one of their their prime investigators has been caught editing their their reports because. They don't want any type of report other paranormal supernatural phenomena. So, for instance, if you if you're walking in the forest, you got a Sasquatch sighting, uh, and all of a sudden the Sasquatch disappears in front of you, or a UFO is there, or that you saw a ghost or a UFO, or the Sasquatch disappear. They edit that out of the report to make it sound more scientific because they're so anti-woo with everything and eliminating evidence and it rates scientific you're conducting opinion and you know i mean it just goes to the field what a lot of people don't understand in this field is there's a lot of charlatans there's a lot of hooligans there's a lot of liars there's a lot of people who will do anything because they want to get on a television show one of the biggest things that you see a lot of people doing out there is calling themselves journalists when they've never been a journalist a day in their life. Right. All right. I've seen people, I've seen people get television shows that, that proclaim them on this, on the screen as an investigative journalist. And I questioned a couple of them. I said, please tell me the news networks you worked for to earn the title of an investigative journalist, because I worked in journalism for 10 years. I never made it as an investigative journalist. I was a journalist. Now, if so they're please, on camera, they just have a face for TV. That's all it is. Well, exactly. So this e egomaniacal uh, trend that, that the paranormal has from a lot of people out there who think they're going to be famous really kills everything. And then when you get to the experiencers, okay, people don't want to believe the story anymore. I'm too good to believe that story. It's stories that I've heard all before. It's anecdotal evidence. You know, and because I don't believe you and what you were saying, you're a liar, you're a fake, you're a fraud. Okay. I've heard it all. I have friends who've had experiences with me who've been called the same thing. Right. And I'm like, well, I, I remember with Samantha Mowat, I had a gentleman on on Twitter say, This lady is full of BS. She makes up her stories, you know. Nobody should pay attention to her. I said, really? I said, were you in the forest with her and I when I 25 minutes after I met Samantha Mowat that she walks me into a forest and 200 feet in front of us, there's a there's a 10 to 12 foot extraterrestrial standing there uh, staring back at us. I said, were you there? I said, I was. Samantha was. I didn't see you in the forest there. So could you please explain to me how that was a fraudulent event, right? And, yep. and so I'm, I'm, I'm just, and I apologize to you and your audience. I'm just really fed up with 
with people out there who are claiming that that this field is full of hucksters and and fakers and they they're they're out there don't get me wrong but there's a lot of innocent people out there who just want to know what happened to them they have no skin in the game except somebody talked to them about their amazing encounter with a ghost with a sasquatch with a dog bed with a ufo or an extraterrestrial that they just want answers and the only way they're getting answers is by talking about it and yet we shoot it down it's the making sense of it all you know it's the same reason when we took to the podcast it's trying to make sense of it all you know Absolutely. it's talking to other people who are researching and trying to make sense of it all um you know you talked something about um like the paranormal researchers researchers that will go on tv i got a, a good example we have um one of the most acclaimed asylums um in the city of the wayne westland area eloise and yeah. eloise is is known throughout the u.s maybe even into british columbia but um not only was it a mental institution it was a the housing for those who suffered with tuberculosis right. and there were many deaths that occurred in this facility well this year um, well, actually, a couple years ago, a production crew went in there and made like a B-rated film. Now, I've yet to see it. Um, haven't watched it yet, even though it was filmed in my hometown. But this year, they decided to take a crew in and take part of the Eloise Asylum and make it into a haunted house attraction. Exploitation. Now, here's the thing. I worked for um, a haunted house for about 13 years for the YMCA, and I know how campy productions can be, but I also know that no one died on the grounds where I worked at a haunted house, and I don't know how people could go in and possibly not have something attached to them when they leave out of there. And I know that for the Halloween season, they had the haunted house attraction, which was quite expensive um, if you chose to do um, the, the different attractions. But now they do tours for money. And I believe that the money is going to the homeless shelter that is on the grounds and then also to keep the upkeep. Um, but what are your thoughts and something, you know, taking something like that that is very heavily paranormal? Because um, I know that we talked about the Northville tunnels um, yes. at one point during the last show. Now, Eloise had their tunnels and they finally sealed them off because, you know, 30 something years ago, I'm not going to date myself when I was in high school, but we used to have access to those tunnels. And after seeing and hearing very just creepy and disturbing images and sounds, um, you know, after a couple times, we we realized as high schoolers, you know, we're getting too too close to the flame. Um, yeah. And now they've taken a production crew in there to make movies and to um, take people on, you know, like little group excursions into a haunted yeah. house. I I don't have an issue with paranormal tourism. Uh, to be honest with you, my buddy Mark, who is sitting right beside me. Uh, and I'll bring up a story with him later on. Uh, Mark, his wife, Tara, and myself used to run 
a ghost tour at our local museum where we live. Now, I think it needs to be done properly, though. Like when we decided to do the ghost tour before Mark and Tara joined us, there was a few things that we made sure of. Number one, that we were talking about the history in a positive way through the spirits that were at the museum. Yes. And, and we, number two, we never took a dollar for ourselves. So for instance, we, we donated 90% of the cash to the museum to help raise money because the museum is nonprofit and it's one of the only museums in British Columbia that does not receive any type of government funding. So we would donate 90% of the money. We would hold 10% of the money. So that way we had money to buy future equipment for the tour. Okay. So, or what we would do is we would have, say, a, 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 somebody involved in the paranormal field, like my buddy Merle, okay, come up from Vancouver to take people on the tours as a professional ghost hunter, even, even I, and I use the term professional loosely. All right. But I, I, we would, you know, to pay for his gas and his food in order to come on up. So that way it, you know, that came out of the tour budget, but we never kept a dime for ourselves regarding the tour. You know, the museum for three years, we raised, we did two tours, uh, we did two tours a month and we raised in three years uh, about $14,000 for the museum, you know, and that paid for a lot of upkeep that they normally didn't have. And we actually won there that museum, its first ever tourism award that uh, it had never won before from the local tourism association. Now, the one thing that we were able to do and the one thing that we we had rules with with Mark and Tara and myself was it wasn't about exploiting the ghosts. It was about seeing if the ghosts wanted to come hang out with us. Yeah. And sometimes they, you know, sometimes they didn't. Right. We, we and it would be funny because, you know, there would be nights where Tara would have zero action in any any building. And I would be like, well, I got a few hits here, a few hits there. And Mark would be like, I don't know what you guys were seeing tonight. My group was red hot. We were getting EVPs. We were getting knocking on the walls. We were getting, you know, sounds all over the place and, you know, people getting touched. And it, it was kind of funny how it worked, you know, but when we had people come in, we always, we, we brought them in as a group right off the bat. We would say, look, we know through past experience, this place is very haunted. We can't guarantee you're going to have an experience. What we can guarantee is that we're going to teach you a lot about the heritage and about the, the area and what makes this place one of the most haunted areas in BC. So I don't mind tour, paranormal tourism if it's done right. But it, like if, if you have a bunch of people in there who are trying to make a million dollars or a hundred thousand dollars a year off of something. I don't know unless they've invested their own money. So for instance, a, a ghost hunter friend of mine, David Spinks, 
he bought a house, I believe it's called a Blair house or something like that in Ohio or, or one of the, the Eastern type states. He bought a haunted house. Okay. That really, really weird things happen. Okay. And like people have vanished at this house only to reappear in that same room five minutes later. Like, like it, it's incredible. Wow. Some of the stories in there. If you ever get a chance to talk to David Spinks about it, please do so. You guys will be blown away by it. But anyways, with his house, he bought it strictly as a ghost tourism place. He's making money off of it. And I don't mind because he has invested his own money. He doesn't have people jumping around from behind right. buildings. He's made it into a haunted B&B, which I think is great. Yep. I think it's fantastic. But it's when people start to exploit the paranormal. Okay. When you get people who are play, uh, look, there's ghost hunters and then there's ghost hunters. Right. Okay. You have the people who are there because they want to do something to promote the field in a positive way and teach people and let people understand through their own experiences. Then you have the group of weekend warriors out there who are just there for the boo factor and the scare factor who really have zero understanding of what it means to, to piss off a ghost or to, to challenge a spirit or, or to go crazy on, on making things up, you know, and, and that's the danger of it all. And the problem that we have in the paranormal field is there are no rule books. It's, it's a free for all, uh, you know, it's not like baseball where you have a rule book or hockey where you have a rule book there is no rule books most people whatever they have learned okay has come from television and youtube they haven't learned it any other way most people some people have had their own experiences that they're trying to explain which is wonderful all right but there is no schooling there is no guidelines there is no rules and it's the people who take advantage of the phenomena that I do not encourage. So I have a tough time when, when you have people doing that. Yeah. And that's something like they, they have a historical tour of this Eloise asylum that I think that Wayne and I are going to go into. And I have no problem asking them where the money is going. I was looking into the haunted attraction because of the, the different types of employment that they offer and right. that i don't know considering how many people died in that particular area and just how haunted that area is from all researchers who have went in there um i just wonder one of these days if on our facebook group if we're not going to get a story of someone who uh, took took an unexpected guest home with them Right. Oh, it, it, we had it happen on our tour. We had it happen at our tour where we we had to, you know, at the end of the night, we would tell everybody before they left, if you if you're not, you know, we need symptoms. So before we went on the tour, we would say to people, if all of a sudden you feel ill, you feel sick, you feel angry, you feel like you're going to puke, you feel like you want to punch someone, 
you're not feeling like the exact moment that you are right now, do not leave without us cleansing you beforehand. And, I was going to ask you about that. If there was any yeah. sort of cleansing involved. Yeah, you have to. And a lot of these places, they don't do that. They don't care. They're there for the thrill factor, you know, and we, we came at it from a, from a real, I'm going to use the word spiritualist type of, of, of look at everything because I'm an experiencer. Mark and his wife were experiencers. Uh, and, and they were, you know, we wanted to make sure that when people went home, they went home safe. So we would make sure that everybody would go home in a proper fashion. Now there were people out there who, who just, no, oh, I'm fine. Didn't feel anything. I, I feel great. I feel like the same that I did before. I said, okay, well, if you get any, any troubles, uh, we will uh, come help you out. And just to let the audience know that Dave is phoning in with us right now. So it's not the, the normal being on the computer kind of recording. He's on his cell phone. So we, we grabbed yeah. him while he was out and about. So we're lucky to yeah. have him. And and this is 100% my fault on this. So I, oh, I apologize. I will, I'll take the heat for it. I, I do apologize for that. <laughs> no heat. There's nah, no good. heat to be taken, but I do. I tend to agree with you, Dave, about the whole exploitation and there is a right way to do things and there's a wrong way to do things. And um, we were recently contacted in, I don't know what you're going to think about this. And, but I kind of took offense to it because I know as experiencers, the looks that we get, but then, you know, we get some people that talk to us about what happened and then some people running to us, telling us about what they saw and, and things like that. But in this state, before I was even born in, in 66, we had a huge amount of cover up and demonization of people with the whole swamp gas UFO incident with Project Blue Book and uh, Professor Heineck that came through here. And it shut down every kind of conversation and people were painted with this brush of they just saw swamp gas they were swamp lights it was lightning you know regardless of what it was they saw and they didn't even do a real investigation so you know when the 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 i guess the kibosh was put on that kind of conversation on a huge scale in our state of michigan you know, it, it kind of has trickled down into our culture of, you know, don't talk about those things or those people are crazy. And, and it kind of, it, it really bothered me. And that's why we wanted to do the, the whole Facebook thing. But as for exploitation, we were contacted by somebody who said they were a casting agent looking for people who were experiencers or supposedly abducted by aliens to go on a new television reality dating show. Yeah. Singles I, ready I, to mingle. I, I know the one you're talking about. Cause I got contacted too. I, I, I don't like that whole thing. I, I, to me, that is like, 
that is the the low of the low. I mean, I, why would you want to put these people out there? And I honestly, I don't know if there would be many that would want to, you know, jump on that bandwagon. But then what they'll do is they'll hire a bunch of actors and and give them a crazy way to act. And again, they're going to start portraying these people as one thing when it's just normal people that have had an experience. And again, it'll go throughout all of TV and all of the internet portraying experiencers and people abductees and things like that. And here we go again. You know, I honestly don't yep. see any networks picking up that show though. Well, I, I could, I could say this. There's a difference between experiencers and people who've seen something. I don't consider people who have seen dots in the sky as full-on experiencers of the phenomena. Mm-hmm. I see I see people who have had Bigfoot encounters, close encounters, or or have been subjected to aliens in their bedroom, or missing time, or you know the phenomena sticking around them. And, and it happening in multiple times, I consider that more of experiences. Not that I'm putting down the people who have seen lights in the sky. Okay. That has nothing to do with it. But I, one thing with Hollywood is they throw everything together. Okay. Like it's just one big, you know, pizza that they're just putting toppings on. And I don't like that. Yeah. I don't like the fact that there are going to be people on that show that are going to be absolutely traumatized for the rest of their lives regarding the topic. All right. Because they are going to be public for the rest of their lives. It never goes away. Right. You know, and does it do us any relevance in the field? Does it move the field closer together? No, it makes the field look more like Jerry Springer than J. Allen Hynek. Right. I was going to say you were just in my head because I was thinking Jerry Springer. Yeah, I mean that's that's exactly what it's going to do. I mean, look, ex- the experiences aren't fun. All right, I know that from personal experience. It's not fun when when you get taken from your bedroom and when you get brought back, you're dropped three feet in the air back onto your bed that happened to me okay it's not fun when you look around like some people and and they look on the spaceship or wherever they are and they look beside them and their child is right beside them that's not fun okay you're dealing with phenomena that we know nothing about and now to exploit it for television profit not a fan not a fan at all takes us back to the exploitation of the paranormal you know places that you know we have between the u.s and canada it oh, well um, you know i can i can see okay for entertainment purposes you're going to create ufo hunters or or whatever whatever the show may be okay fine but now you bring people into it and you put them in front of the TV screen for a dating show and they're supposed to what have this one thing in common. And 
I, I just, to me, that's really bothersome. <laughs> I mean, you can choose like to watch a UFO show and not believe what they're talking about or a ghost show and, and look and see if you can find where they're hiding the strings to make things move and things like that. Okay. I, you know, that's, that's one thing. And yeah, you're a charlatan and whatever. Fine. But leave people alone yeah, they're that probably are not dealing looking with for this. love. They're probably still looking for answers yeah. to things. Right. But, but look, at, I mean, it's the same as the price is right. Okay. It, you can go be a spectator at the price is right. But if you want to be a contestant, they're looking for wing nut contestants that are going <laughs> right. to go absolutely bat crap crazy on camera. That's what they want. They don't want somebody who looks normal, talks normal you know, is presentable. They want wing nuts because wing nuts bring ratings. So wait a second. That's why Wayne and I were not picked for the prices, right? They had one at a casino that we went to <laughs> and we did not get picked. So I guess we just did not go over the edge enough for them. Right. We were not wing nuts. Yeah. I mean, we, we were the lame you. ducks in the audience, but, but I mean, it, it's the same thing. You know, how does smut television like, like Jerry Springer or Steve Wilkos or oh, Dr. God. Phil or Maury Povich stay on the air because there is a large percentage of crowd who tune into those horse hockey puck. I'm trying not to swear here. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, television shows, they keep their ratings going. It's disgusting. It's vile. It does nothing to help the phenomena. You know, there's a lot that's going on that doesn't make sense. So when you see these morons out there who who want their 15 minutes of fame, because here's the thing, you always got to remember, there's always someone out there who wants that 10 to 15 minutes of fame. That this attention. Is their one, yeah. their, this is their one and only shot to be the center of attention where people will say, wow, this happened to you? Wow. I can't believe this happened. Wow. It's, it's funny You're that you mentioned television. It's funny that you mentioned Dr. Phil. That's one of my best comebacks when I tell somebody that they're a bad Dr. Phil episode. So want to take us back to a little bit because you said as far as things that you experienced, I know that you briefly mentioned it and it's the, the angel of death. Sure. Um, I want to get on that subject because I think that there is a very close connection that you and I have on that on that subject when it okay. comes to our mothers. So okay. I'm going to let you go and then we'll, we'll have a little discussion yeah, this, about when this. I read this in your bio. All I can really say is, is that it just seemed very disturbing. And so I got to, mine I gotta is followed with a deep sadness. Yeah. So I, I yeah. want to hear what you experienced. Sure. So on December 13th, 2011, we were having at my house a early Christmas for my daughter who was going on a Caribbean cruise with my ex-wife's parents over the Christmas and New Year's of that year. So I had figured we were going to go and, and give her an early Christmas, her presents. We'll do a turkey dinner. We'll do up, uh, you know, just everything that we would do on Christmas Day. So that way my daughter got to spend you know, the holidays, my side of the family, and she could feel good going on to her cruise. All right. So I had about 20, 25 people in my house at that time. And 
there was a Vancouver Canucks game on the television. They were playing the Columbus Blue Jackets. And so all the guys were kind of sitting in that room, watching the hockey game. My daughter had opened her presents. And then my parents at about 7.45 announced that they were going to go home, which is rare because there's a hockey game on. But you know what? The power of dancing with the stars really compelled them to say that they needed to leave to get home to watch. Well, it their, can. Their, <laughs> yeah. You know, so I, w- I, I was in my living room and my dining room, which were connected, and I was collecting plates and, and glasses. And I, and I was really pissed off that my mom and dad were leaving. Now, let me preface this. My mother is a two-time cancer survivor, and she is one of the strongest people I know. And, but the radiation and the chemotherapy over the years really did in her immune system. And over the years, you know, we, as our, as her children, my two sisters and I, we would talk about this, about how it seemed like my mother was being, um, getting addicted to the sympathy that people were showing her for being sick. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. And it was frustrating for us because, you know, you, you you know, sometimes as children, we all, and we're all still children We're a child to someone. And as children, we, every now and again, we still need that conversation with your mother or with your father. And we couldn't have that with my mom because she would continually turn it about herself. And it frustrated us. And I remember talking to my sisters about, you know, that they weren't even calling my mom anymore because they would ask my mom for advice. And my mom would be all about, oh, well, you know, no one cares about me and, and nobody cares about what I'm going through. And it's like, mom, I just need advice on how to bake a friggin' cake, you know. And it got re- like it got to the point where we all started kind of pulling away from our my mom because you know, and I hate to say this because it sounds like we're just asshole type children. And, but it was frustrating and we didn't know what to do. And I, you know, this is beyond the paranormal side of everything. And that night I was mad because my parents were, or let me, let me preface this first. Cause I wanted to say this, you know, like we would call up my mom. Like I remember calling up my mom and my mom would answer the phone. She'd be like, hello sounding perfectly normal and you'd be like hey mom how you doing and she'd be like oh the pain like her voice would change oh the pain yeah my dad does that (laughs) you know and i'd be like well i guess i'm not going to ask my mom you know some advice on what i need to do with my daughter at this point you know or my ex-wife or or whatever and it like for me it was really really lonely because my dad I couldn't talk to my dad about anything because if it wasn't the if it wasn't about hockey, the the Coke versus Pepsi debate, uh, or politics, my dad didn't talk about it because he hated real talk. He only liked small talk. And my mom couldn't talk to my mom about what I was going through with my divorce and everything like that. So it was like because it was always about the pain, the pain, the pain, right? So. It got frustrating. And so, you know, we stopped calling. As rude as that is, on December 13th, 2011, at 745, my parents 
announce they're leaving. And I'm just like, this is typical. My parents always, you know, making it about them. They won't sacrifice any time. So I guess my daughter isn't as important as dancing with the stars. And I'm grinding my teeth at this, you know, and I figured, you know what? It's my daughter's night. I'm going to rip my dad a new one tomorrow when I talk to him because this is really uncool. And so I figure, okay, my mom's in the kitchen. She's saying goodbye to family. And I put the glasses down on the table and I go to step through the doorway where my mom is to give her a hug and a kiss goodbye and tell her I love her. And that's when I realize that everything around my mom is standing still. There's no sound on the television of the hockey game. There's no kids making noise. There's no noise coming from the kitchen where people were cleaning up. Okay, nothing. And I have my arms open to give my mom a hug. And I look into her beautiful blue eyes. And all I see is blackness. Her eyes are black now. And her pupils are now white. And I kind of tilted to my, my head to the side. And it was like my mom got this look of shock on her face. Kind of like, oh, you see me. She then shook her head. Her eyes went blue. She hugged me. Sound on the television restarts. People talking in the kitchen restarts. And I'm sitting there saying, oh, my God, I just saw the angel of death in my mother's eyes. I was immediately sick to my stomach. I immediately wanted to vomit. And I immediately wanted to cry. And so a lot of people will ask me, well, how did you know it was the angel of death? That comes in a second. But at that time, I knew what I was looking at. I knew instantaneously in this entire three to four second episode what I was looking at in my mother's eyes. And so I give my mom a hug. My partner says, looks at me and she's like, are you okay? And I just said to her, I looked at her and I was almost at an all time low. And I just said, I just saw the angel of death in my mom's eyes. And I walked to the bedroom and no, I walked to the bedroom. That's where she uh, uh, told me or asked me if I was okay. And then I quickly walked back to the door to walk my parents outside to their vehicle so they could drive away. Fast forward a couple of hours later, uh, my, my partner's into all this woo type stuff, okay, where she would go to her meditation and, you know, her, her little, you know, Zen and Chi parties. I wasn't into that. Not at all. Uh, didn't get it. Didn't understand it. Tried going once with her to be a supporting uh, partner. And I was just like, yeah, I'm out. I'm out. Well, 10 o'clock that night, everybody's left, kids are in bed, and she wants to talk about it. So, so we go back into our living room. My partner puts a candle, lights a candle on our table. She sits on our love seat. I'm on the couch, and we're kind of looking across the table from each other. And she goes, why don't you close your eyes? Just meditate on it. Tell me what you see. So I started explaining what happened. And then I do not remember the next 38 minutes because at that point, I started channeling the angel of death. Now, the experience I had with channeling previous to this 
was taking a remote control from a television and flipping the channels as quickly as I possibly could to see if I could find something on. I had no idea what channeling was on a spiritual sense. I had no idea what channeling was on a communication sense. Nothing made sense to me at all. And the, what I remember from that conversation with the angel of death was I did, in fact, see him in my mother's eyes. And he told me point blank, or he said through me point blank, let me get that corrected, that my mother, whom we had been ignoring, was indeed very ill. And if we as a family did not start showing her more love and affection and attention that he was going to take her home. He didn't mention heaven. He didn't mention hell. All he said was, I'm going to take her home. And I don't recall much of the remainder of the conversation. I, at one point it was recorded. And then my partner's iPhone got the blue screen to death before she could transfer it over. But it was intense. And the next day I was on the phone with my sisters. I was on the phone with my aunt, my grandmother. And the only person I didn't talk to about it was my dad. Because Mr. Five Senses, I don't believe in anything, wouldn't have been able to handle it. So we kept it from him at that time but that was my encounter now 10 years later which we are coming on the 10-year anniversary my mother is still alive she's struggling right now but she is still alive which is really really cool because i think it's because i followed what the angel of death told me to keep my mom alive it's funny what you were talking about with your mom being a cancer survivor. Um, my mom at the time in the, the time era, my mom died in 2011. Um, and it was around December 13th or 14th. Um, the previous year, 2010, that we were told that the cancer was back and had spread to her lungs and her brain. Now, mind you, she never smoked a day in her life. So once it went to her brain, we knew that it was a matter of time. Um, when she passed away, March 27th of 2011, it was a Sunday. The last time my mother spoke was that Tuesday to me, and she talked about going home. And it was a presence in my parents' house because my mom, we, we had hospice, and we took her we took her back to the house that she loved so much. And the hospital bed faced um, the window that she always looked out to kind of spy on the neighborhood. But she she had a picture of her parents nearby. And the la one of the last conversations I had with her was her pointing to that picture. And had she had said that she was going home. Um, which I alluded to the fact and I mean, this is. 10 years ago now that she had seen her parents and that they were, they were calling her back Um, right. the day that she died, which, like I said, I was the only one in the room. My sister-in-law was in the kitchen um, when my mother took her last breath. And of course my instinct at the time is grab the blood pressure machine, check to see, of course it crashed. 
Um, there, there was no sign, but it was that heaviness in the room. Um, couldn't see an image, but it was the feeling. Yeah. Now, um, my, go ahead, please. Go, no, go ahead. Okay. When you talk about the feeling now, six months after that had happened, my partner's grandmother was in hospice and we got called down there and I walked into the room and that feeling of heaviness and energy was in that room. Yes. And I actually, I actually started taunting the angel of death in that room. For some reason, I thought I could, I could communicate with it telepathically. And so here I was taunting it, like, come on, show me where you are. I know you're here. I know I can feel you like, give me something here. Like, what are, what are you doing? Are you a moron or whatever? You know what I'm saying? And, and I, I was just, I kept on going and going and taunting him. And then uh, there was a point where we were, uh, my partner and I were standing right by or right at the foot of her grandmother's feet uh, bed. So we were like, literally grandma's feet were about five inches from us. And here she is struggling to breathe and all of this kind of stuff. And we're standing there and I look up towards grandma and all of a sudden I watch her spirit come out of her chest. And it was like, and it's, and it was like a swirling shape of a, a thin football, that type of shape. And it was, it was kind of all swirled together. And it was like, I got in my head, this voice that said, is this what it's all about? Is this what you want to see? And then at the snap of a finger, I watched that spirit and the energy shoot right through the ceiling of her hospice room. And I, I started laughing and I went, holy bleep. And I started kind of giggling because I can't believe I just saw this at this real emotional moment. And I, and I walked out of the room and I, and I remember saying to my partner, I said, she's gone. And she, and I'm like, cause I'd never seen anybody die before. And I'm like, she's gone. And, I, and my partner's like, no, she's still breathing. She can still fight. I'm like, no, honey, she's gone. I just, you're not going to believe this. I actually just watched her spirit leave her body and shoot up towards heaven. And she's like, what? I'm like, yeah. I said, your grandma is gone. And nine minutes later, she drew her final breath. Did you notice that just the air in the room uh, became yeah. lighter? Oh, yeah. Like yeah. everything. It, it was like a vacuum had sucked all of that energy out. Yeah. So that's yeah. the that's the same feeling that I had. Just that that like the the lightning of the 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 load of the anguish that the family puts themselves through to watching, you know, their loved ones suffer. Um, the only other horrible thing that had to happen that day was when I knocked on my dad's bedroom door, he was taking a nap. And I don't know if it was the way that I knocked, or when I said his, you know, said his name, and opened the door that he knew. Um, that was a, a whole different situation. Fortunately, I still have my dad with me. He's 95 going on 96. And he's still full of, you know, spunk and vinegar, I'll tell you. So I'm glad that your mom is still with you. Yeah. And, you know, my mom was battling uh, kidney failure now. Uh, so that is something that, 
you know, I'm we're, we're watching and she was just released from the hospital just a few days ago, which was, uh, which was very nice to actually have. But I mean, my mom is good. My mom is 78 years old. I think she has a lot of life left in her if she wants. But uh, the one thing I do know is, uh, is, uh, she's a fighter and hopefully she can continue fighting and, and, and kind of go from there. Cause you know, as much as there's a lot of cool stuff that happens with, when the woo pops up, you know, we don't want to lose our parents, you know, and, and I, and I'm fortunate at 48 years. No, it's one of our biggest fears when we're young is that we're going to lose our parents. So, you know, fortunately I was able to, you know, keep my mom with me for many, many years. Um, Mm -hmm. but, uh, but yeah, like it, you know, like I said, I'm just happy that, you know, now that your mom's out of the hospital, now we got to get her on the live so her and I can see each other face to face. Oh, goodness. I got, yeah, well, I've got my doppelganger. I got to know what I'm going to look like uh, in the future, Dave. I Well, put it this way. I will, next time I am at my parents, I will grab some pictures for my mother about 20, 25 years ago and then, or 30 years ago, and I will send you those pictures. And you're going to be like, wow, that's the same cheekbones. Wow. That's the same, the same eyes. And, and, uh, that's why I love you. I, I was going to say, you're going to have to show your mom some pictures of Wayne and I, cause she'll be like, I remember looking like that. Well, and if, oh, yeah. if people are wondering what we're talking about when we were on spaced out radio, just not too long ago, uh, Dave was kind of amazed that Michelle was basically a doppel mom. We're, or a doppelmommer, right? We're mommy gangers. <laughs> right, mommy gangers, whatever you want to call it. But that that Michelle looks very much like his mom 40 years ago. I get so, that a lot, though. Yeah. You know, even around where, you know, where I work, it's like, oh, you look like so-and-so. I'm like, well, I'm the only girl of five kids, you know. Right. Well, now we're going to take a, a completely, you know, different turn because, on your show, we talked very briefly about urban legends because you asked me what was my my favorite subject in all of this. Um, and even before, you know, our experience of 2018, I have always loved urban legends. I grew up around urban legends in high school. You know, we would take the car out down certain roads to see if the car would stall out, if we would see the lights, if we'd hear the cries and the things of that sort. Right the, the, the blue bridge. lady on Denton Road was always a great one for us. Um, or, you know, the tunnels of Eloise. But I am becoming more and more fascinated. And I think it was after speaking to Christina Gomez about the urban legend of the black eyed children. Right. Um, and I, you know, I've heard stories and I'm, I'm not going to lie, we actually reached out to Sarah Clancy, who is a fictional writer, because I was like, hey, I'd really love to talk to her. She did a whole series um, mm-hmm. about the subject of the, the black eyed children in like, you know, a, like a fictional book series for young adult or, you know, whatever her, her audience is. Um, I had heard um, of her as a writer before with the Bell Witch, I believe. Yeah, um, right. But what has your experience been? Have you looked into the black eyed children? And for someone who is very curious about that particular urban legend, 
what could you recommend that someone like me who is just completely fascinated fascinated by this the this set of stories what do you already know and what could you recommend as far as looking further into it and i just want to throw in one extra thing on that are they somehow tied to the men in black i've i've heard a little bit about that as well so Dave, we're going to throw this back at you about the urban legends. Well, you know what? I will say this. I, I don't want to meet up with any black eyed kids. I do. I would love to meet up with men in black. I think that would be fantastic. Uh, you know, I think they're two entirely different phenomena. Okay. I do not. Be- I do not believe that black eyed children are alien of any way. I think they are more paranormal that they are uh, very much a, um, a, this weird species of ghostly children or demonic children uh, that look, if the devil was playing a trick on us, you know, the one thing that 99% of the people on this planet can empathize with is helping a child. Exactly. And, and, and when, and when you have a child coming at you with pale skin, and and jet black eyes saying, can we come in? Can we come in to use your phone? Can we come in? Can you give us a ride to uh, the the mall or the park or the movie theater? Can we use, uh, do you have any money we can borrow or, or whatever the, it may be. I don't want to run into them. It, it, it scares the daylights out of me. David Weatherly, who is an incredible researcher and one of the best out there, in my opinion, he has uh, written a book about the black eyed children, same as Nick Redfern. And they go in depth uh, with the phenomena, trying to trace it back to some of the original stories that are out there. I mean, for people who don't know the black eyed children, you're not supposed to let them in because otherwise they can either A, take you, B, kill you, C, harm you in some sort of way that you're not going to remember. Uh, the only story I've ever heard of somebody writing a a uh, or allowing the black eyed children into their home uh they ended up passed out on the floor they woke up a couple of hours later trying to figure out what had happened and where those kids went um but apparently you know there's so many urban legends out there like that that i think it's more paranormal now that being said when you look at something like the men in black, I believe that the 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 men in black uh, are a phenomenon out there. Led, you know, I think there's two different sets of men in black. You have the government officials, like like I don't care what anybody says. I believe Luis Elizondo is a former man in black. I really do, and I've questioned him on that. He laughed at it. I don't care. I had to get the question out. Uh, I, I believe that there's also an alien type species of man in black that kind of is on patrol for people who have different sightings or whatever it may be as well. So, you know, the phenomena in, in regards to, to what the men in black want, there's so many stories of the men in black showing up in black vehicles to areas that have had unidentified aerial phenomena all of a sudden taking place in their area this is something that isn't new it's been happening literally since roswell 
So the fact that uh, we see this going on and happening, I think they're completely two different phenomena that need to be addressed in different ways. Yeah, it's like, is it, you know, which one is it, the phenomena or the cleanup crew? <laughs> well, and that's a good point. I think you're leaning more towards the cleanup crew yeah. because they're, they're, they're the ones putting out the threats. They're the ones. Now, do I think there are still men in black running around? No, I don't. I do believe that the, they, their jobs may have been changed. Now, maybe under extreme circumstances, they are out there. But there are very few people who are being threatened these days about their experiences. You know, and, and here's a good warning for a lot of people out there, okay? I'm going to tell you this. I've seen in my lifetime maybe 140 UFOs. I have a nighttime radio show talking about all sorts of conspiratorial phenomena. I have friends all through the business and only one or no three times have I ever had something strange happen with, with that. I could not explain. Okay. Uh, when it comes to government phenomena, number one, my friend uh, Everett Themer, him and I, actually we're counting the amount of times that that um our phone our tapped phone call would be hung up and after after the fifth time they finally gave up hanging up on us we make our we make our jokes here about whether or not we'll ever have have someone pull up in our driveway or in front of the house yeah we've said the same thing about our neighbor though too (laughs) But, 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 you know, here's the thing, like, um, they're not, you know, when, when I hear people talk about black helicopters, guess what? The United States military uses a very dark shade of green on their helicopters, where if it gets to dusk or distance, every helicopter looks black. Right. Yep. All right. I don't buy the black helicopter phenomena. I don't buy the, the, uh, the phenomena of that they are following me. I have never had black vehicles parked outside. Now I'm not, look, I'm not saying I'm, I'm that it hasn't happened to me. So it doesn't happen. Okay. I'm not saying that at all, but I have a tough time. You know, when you get somebody who, and I've interviewed them, you, you probably interviewed them or talked to them in your Facebook group where you get people who will be like, yeah, the other night I, I saw a triangle in the sky and I saw it, you know, for about 25 seconds. The next morning I wake up and there's black vehicles in front of my house. I mean, that I can't understand that because right. this phenomena is literally happening to thousands of people daily where people out of the blue are seeing black triangles and they don't have all of a sudden black vans or black SUVs or blacked out cars sitting in front of their driveway. Now, I know people who have been approached by the men in black. It's because the men in black normally come out when you're investigating phenomena. That's when right. You won't That's... let somebody, when you won't let something go, when you won't shut up about it publicly. That's when we see the majority of the men in black phenomena happen it's not when somebody is out there you know cruising around on a saturday night you know driving home from a 
from a ball game at the local baseball diamond and sees a a disc light up the sky for 3.5 seconds and then disappears, that's not going to call for black helicopters, black truck, uh, anything. Right. Right. So you do have to be careful with that. So kind of uh, going off of that a little bit about some of the intentions behind the UFOs and the UAPs and some of the um, encounters and stuff that people talk about. When Michelle and I had our encounter, I had a sincere sense of dread, almost to the point of, I don't know if it was my own fear or there was some type of a message being told to me, but it was get out of here. You shouldn't see this leave kind of a feeling um, when I identified the triangle that we saw as not an airplane, because it definitely was not an airplane once we got closer and could see it. But there are people out there that talk about the intentions of these things are to help us. They are the, the space hippies, I guess, that are here just to, you know, help us out and, and do all this. But then my rebuttal to that is, well, why are they being so secretive about everything then? And, you know, I, I don't know. I, I mean, my experience has been with the tri- the black triangles. And it seems like everybody that's had some type of experience with a black triangle, yours seems a little bit different. But everybody else that we've talked to so far, which isn't many, but the stories and stuff that we've gotten has been that same kind of feel when it comes to the black triangles, like almost like they're a different species or a different race or whatever the case may be that, that is very negative. And it seems like people that have said things about uh, interactions with beings from saucers or some type of orb or whatever seem to have more of the different, we're here to help. Don't blow yourselves up with nuclear weapons, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I'm very skeptical when it comes to those people. <laughs> so, and, and that has to do with our experience, I'm sure. But what do you make of those kind of uh, those kind of statements from people about, uh, you know, they're 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 the loving star children here to help, or in my case, they you know they are kind of negative, and we happen to see them, and they don't want us to see them. What's your take? Oh, I think that's a fantastic question. Uh, I believe that that I have, and I'll say this: I have a I have a big trouble with the peace, love, and light hippies saying that all aliens are good. They're they're here to help support humanity because I know a couple of the experiences I've had when I, I've been taken. Yeah, it wasn't no no peace, love, and light there. Okay. And I know many others who have had that as well. But that being said, that being said, we have to keep an open mind that with this phenomenon, look, we like dogs as human beings, Mm -hmm. but there are human beings out there who would like to eat dogs or do chemical testing on dogs or use dogs for scientific research and pain suffering and medications 
that eventually will be very good for humans. Right? Yep. Doesn't make sense. Uh, so, I mean, there are people out there that it just doesn't make a lot of, of understanding for what they are trying to accomplish with the phenomena. The phenomena, uh, as far as extraterrestrials, they are treating many of those species, namely the greys, seem to be treating us much like we are a, their own personal science, science experiment. We shouldn't think any differently because that's what us humans do. We do it to every species of animal. We do it to our own people. I mean, you look back at World War II, what the Germans did to the Jews. Sure. Or, or if you fast forward, you know, you look at Jeffrey Dahmer, who was, you know, prolific serial killer, who was drilling into people's brains to try and create zombie-like sex slaves. Yeah. And, you know, he was killing them, drilling into their heads to see if he could lobotomize them with a drill. I mean, this is this is what the sickening stuff that we're talking about. So we're not recluse from doing it our, or, or not recluse. Uh, we're not excused for not doing it ourselves when we are. And that's sickening. All right. So can we expect extraterrestrials to be any different? Number two, uh, that feeling that you get where you're not supposed to be there uh, I will tell you right now it happens in the forest when all of a sudden you get this feeling I gotta leave I gotta leave it happens in the paranormal it happens in the jungles where people just feel they need to leave because they are getting that very very interesting feeling that something that is out of their control and something scary is about to happen. And that's the truth of the matter. It's not just UFOs. What you experience with your UFO is not surprising whatsoever. And it will happen. It's going to continue to happen as long as you delve into the phenomenon. Yeah, we saw something the other night when Michelle called me outside and and sure enough, we saw uh, in the in the western sky, kind of low on the horizon, there was some type of an orb moving around. And then come to find out on our Facebook group, people start posting, Have, is people seen this? And then they put videos up. And it was exactly what we had seen. You know, it, it's uh, it was quite the the scary experience to be like, okay, are they coming back? And Michelle grabbed a couple of photos, but of course, you know, it's the quote unquote blurry photos of a orb flying around way off in the distance on an iPhone. You know, what are you going to capture? Not, not anything that's going to be recognizable or something you'd want, you know, as evidence to go, ha ha, see, there's one of them. But, uh, yeah, it was kind of interesting to to see that happen. Well, and then pulling up any technology that Wayne had on his phone too yeah. to see if it aligned as like one of the visible planets or you know satellite system, and nothing was coming up that that would explain what this thing was. Yeah. So, Dave, do you think that that we're going to ever get any answers to this phenomenon? I mean we we've hit on all kinds of things, but. I, I'm more interested in the UFO side of things right now because of our experience. 
is this phenomenon going to be something we're ever going to really get to understand? No. No. Look, anybody who is looking into this subject with all seriousness and intentions needs to understand or will understand what I'm going to say. There is a narrative at play here, and that narrative is not good for the people of humanity. Okay. As long as we are in a military industrialized complex, which is what we have been in for the last 70 years, we are not going to get what we need to know about this phenomenon. The last thing, if, you know, let's go back four years when the To the Stars Academy came out. And they were going to change the world and revolutionize the way we look at UFOs which we weren't allowed to now call them UFOs. We had to call them UAP. Okay. Right. They held, they hold a, a press conference in Seattle that they broadcasted all over the world. Yet they didn't have a single member from the press there. A pressless press conference. <laughs> Red flag. Right. And then you have to understand there are many facets to this story. You have to understand that the mainstream media has never wanted to cut to cover this story. I know what it's like to work in a newsroom when that phone call about a UFO comes in. Okay. And that phone call literally is something along the following of, hi, how you doing? And yeah, I just saw a UFO. Uh, has anybody else reported one in? No, whereabouts you see it? Uh, up in the sky and flying, and let's say over Vancouver. Oh, are you sure it wasn't a seagull? Are you sure it wasn't an airplane, a helicopter? No, uh, that's why I'm calling it in to you, sir. Uh, how much have you had to drink tonight? How much uh, are you? Are well, you there's on always any, the, uh, there's always the, on how much did you have to drink? Exactly. Are you on any hippie lettuce? It's all there. <laughs> okay, and. This is what the, the newsrooms go through because they they have thought about this story and every journal, almost every journalist out there thinks of anybody who has seen UFOs or is into this phenomena as somebody who works the night shift at the local gas station, has never made, made more than minimum wage, who lives in their parents' basement, has no dental plan, and believes that everything is a conspiracy and the government is just there to screw us all. Yeah. All right. That's the attitude that the news media takes with people in UFOs and ufology. Now, there is a little bit of a reality to this, though, that guess what? We're learning the phenomena is real. But the problem that we have here is a failure to communicate. And that failure to communicate is what is driving the government narrative where they have full control over what goes out to the press. The press isn't. It isn't the press's fault in a way because they don't know how to cover this subject. They've now been pulled, uh, had their pants pulled down after making fun of this subject for years. And now they have to realize like, oh my God, there is something to this. This is real. What are we supposed to do now? Well, this is where the two, the stars Academy then trots out David Fravor. They trot out Luis Elizondo. They trot out uh, Lou, uh, Chris Mellon. They trot out Harry Reid. So now they've given us the guy who ran the program, the guy who is the high government contact, 
the fighter pilot who intercepted these craft, and the ex-senator who says, I've been to Area 51. I know these UAP need to be studied, and we need to put funding into it. So basically, what they did was it created the whole story for the media. The media fell for it because now they didn't have to start looking up the history. They didn't need to worry about Richard Dolan, Grant Cameron, Stent Friedman, J. Allen Hynek, and every researcher in between. They didn't do their job. Right. Every, every story is supposed to be point-counterpoint, and they weren't doing the counterpoint because they didn't know where to look for the counterpoint. They didn't know who to talk to for the counterpoint. And that's where we've only seen the one side of the media where they now think that this is a phenomenon that just started happening in 2004 with the USS Nimitz incident rather than previous to 1947's Roswell incident. They don't right. care. They're not, they're not asking the questions. I mean, there are so many little questions that I would love to ask. You know, like when in 2019, 2020, when the, I believe it was 2020, when the government or the CIA came out and said, we're looking into UFOs. The Navy comes out and confirms. Those are our videos. We're looking into UFOs. And then out of the blue, the FBI chimes in a few weeks later and says, well, we've been investigating Sasquatch cases. Here's a case out of from 1973 that we were looked into uh, from the state of Oregon, and we were sent hair samples, and those hair samples are deer. Doesn't take 43 years to come up with deer samples. Right. Okay. So nobody questioned that, though. The weirdness of all of a sudden the FBI kind of like, hey, I want to get into this game too. And now all of a sudden, if you fast forward to today, now we're seeing NASA talk about aliens. Yeah. And then, and then you have, uh, and I don't want to get in trouble here, but I'm going to probably, but then you have like somebody like a celebrity, like, I don't know, Demi Lovato coming out with a show. Oh, I was waiting for this. Well, you know, I was all for her having this unidentified show. I thought, okay, Hey, somebody who's a believer, maybe have an experience. And, and they're going to run the show and, you know, they're going to talk about this. And then we get, they don't like to be called aliens. They want to be called extraterrestrials or other worlders or off worlders or something like that. Wait a minute. What, what is that? Well, let's, let's get to, let's get to the, the dirty part right off the bat. Oh okay. boy. Here we go. All right. The dirty part to that story is this in, in states like California, Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas, the word alien has become a very racist term for illegal alien or undocumented alien. All right. That's where people have taken offense to the word alien. Now coming up here where I am in Canada, when I think alien, the word alien, I don't even think human. Right. I'm thinking, I'm thinking somebody up in uh, some some creature from outer space coming down and and in a spaceship, you know, to say, hey Dave, how's it going? Or hey Wayne, hey Michelle, how you doing? That's what I think an alien is. I don't even think human being. So 
not not that I'm defending Debbie Lovato, because I thought that that whole sentence and that whole statement she made on an Australian radio station was really, really wrong. Okay. We don't need to politicize extraterrestrials. All right. Well, we well, don't. I think you said something key, though, is that, you know, people in, in certain states, you know, say that word and it means something else to them. But that's something that that humans create. How do we know they don't want to be called aliens? That's something that's well, being and, projected. And, and that's and that's the stupidity of it, because I have heard people, whether it's Samantha Mowat, whether it's. Our Keith Andrews, whether it's uh, the lady named Aunt Jolly who has canceled her big UFO tour, alien tour, you know, now Debbie Lovato. Uh, I think there's a difference between when a tr- I, okay, I'm gonna I'm speaking way too ahead here. I believe Debbie Lovato is an experiencer. All right, I do not believe she has gotten the proper advice by attending a couple of Stephen Greer camps. Got you. All right. There is a lot more to this phenomena than going for free to Stephen Greer's camp while the rest of the people there are paying 3500 a seat. By the way, if you see Demi Lovato, you're not allowed to talk to her. Wow. Okay. Now, I also don't like the fact that Demi Lovato had you know i mean this is a young lady or a young non-binary if we're supposed to call her that now uh who literally holds a press conference for everything she changes her coffee brand she's holding a press conference okay Uh, she has gone through a lot the last three years god bless her for beating a drug addiction that let's hope that she's beat it she did go to rehab this is a young lady who is finding herself and her and her sexuality. This is a, a you know which everybody is allowed to be free of who they want to be and who they're comfortable with in their life. Everybody deserves that on this planet. Okay. Now, she's also a young lady who had a very public adult uh, life as a child through working with Disney, which Disney is also very well known for you know, treating their young stars like young adults. This is why we see so many of these young kids, these childlike stars getting into drugs like cocaine, like marijuana. You know, I mean, people now say, well, marijuana is legal in most states and it's legal in Canada, but a 14-year-old doesn't need to be doing more marijuana. Correct. I mean, look at, look at Drew Barrymore back in the day where, I mean, she was coked out at, at 12, 13 years old. We don't need that. You know what I'm saying? Children yeah. don't don't need that. And I think there's a lot of trauma with Demi Lovato regarding the phenomena or regarding her, her upbringing as a child star. You know, um, but when you step into the extraterrestrial world and you are going to all of a sudden be the voice of it because you have 104 million combined followers on Instagram and Twitter alone and people are going to listen to you, 
you have to be careful with everything you say. You don't have a choice. And the fact that she went down by politicizing on that Australian radio show that aliens don't want to be called aliens, it hurts their feelings. How do you know? All right. I've had ET contact with five different species that I've seen. Not one of them has come up to me and said, hey, can you call me Jake? Can you call me Bob? Can you call me Sarah? Can you call me Hawk? Can you call me Tan instead of alien? Yeah. Right. And I think because she grew up in New Mexico and obviously with her last name, uh, you know, I believe her father is an immigrant to the United States. I can see where she is getting to the point of saying, look, the word alien is derogatory, but who made you the speaker for the grays, for the Zeta reticulates, or the reptilians, or the banted beings, or the, or the humanoids, uh, or the Nordics? Why are the Nordic people getting offended by their entire, you know, their entire people being called aliens? I mean, can we not say the same thing for them? Why are we calling them Nordics? So at what point does it stop? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and you know, we're, we've gone so far to make everything so bloody politically correct. I think what she did was, you know, she, she had the ability to be a very powerful voice in the community. But Debbie Novato is also known for speaking before she thinks as well. Yeah. And I think that's what happened here. Look, I don't care about her music. I've never been a music fan. Okay. Uh, I don't care about her being famous on television, whether it was through Disney or through her albums or, or through movies that she did or her time uh, with Simon Cowell on uh, one of those uh, reality TV shows looking for singers. Okay. I don't care. I don't care about her sexuality. I don't care about who she promotes that she wants to be. As long as she is a happy, healthy, breathing human being. That's what I care about. And it's not just her. It's my buddy, Mark, who's sitting right beside me during this interview. It's talking to you guys. It's my listeners. It's your listeners. Right. I just want people healthy. Live your best life to whom you truly are. Okay. And I say this very publicly. You know, I'm starting to talk more publicly about it the last year or so. My daughter is part of the LBGTQ A plus community. Do I care? No, because I want her to be happy. You know, I want her to be happy. She can be whomever she wants to be. Yep. And that's okay with dear old dad because my baby girl is health is happy. That's all I care about. And that's the way it should be. But when you have that many followers and you're outspoken like Debbie Lovato, that's where things get dangerous. Right. Because now you're going to have a bunch of those followers who are going to want to emulate her, whatever, you know, she's claiming to be just because they want to be like her, just like people walk around wearing certain brands of clothing and, you know, look like walking billboards for shoe companies and all of that. She doesn't realize, and maybe her handlers or manager agents need to sit her down and talk to her about this, but I don't think that that's going to help the 
community at all when it, you know, we want to try to find answers. Yeah, we, sh- 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 but, go ahead. But Wayne, she doesn't give a care about the community. That's the point. See, she doesn't care about the community. That's her. All right. Because if she did care about the community, I talked to somebody who was involved with that television show. If she truly cared about being a voice for the UFO and extraterrestrial community, why would you not go to to some or accept some speaking engagements at UFO uh, conferences or ET conferences? Why wouldn't you go on podcasts or radio shows? She hasn't even gone on Coast to Coast AM. Never mind my show, okay? But Coast to Coast AM has nearly 10 million listeners a night. All right? Why won't she do Coast to Coast? She should. If anybody gets that interview, it should be George Dory or George Now. Right. One of the two. It shouldn't be Dave Scott. It shouldn't be Jimmy Church. We would love the opportunity. But if you're her handlers, why are you not allowing her to go on Coast to Coast AM? I think we might know the answer to right? that. And if Demi wants to be the voice, well, if Demi wants to be the voice of ufology and tell us that we shouldn't call aliens aliens, we need some questions in. Demi, who told you? on that let's learn about your experiences let's build hype around you you know it's the same thing as the to the stars academy okay and and i've talked to people who were involved and, and lou elizondo told me this one of the biggest mistakes the to the stars academy made was the fact that they tried to exclude their biggest supporters of the phenomena. They tried to act like we know better and they ignored the people who are their biggest supporters. Tom DeLong, not uh, uh, Tom DeLong's sister, Carrie DeLong being the PR person for the TTSA, not giving it, allowing people to give, get interviews with their members. I put in 15 requests for an interview with the TTSA, I got zero interviews. Other people put in requests, zero interviews. And because they were, ignore, they were ignoring the people who they could have gained support from. Oh, got you. Okay. And that isn't good. When you are doing that, that is not good at all. And Demi Lovato doing the exact same thing exact same thing are they tied in any way are they are they connected in any way no Hmm. but you got to realize too hollywood doesn't want demi lovato doing this her handlers her publicists they're probably pissed off and that's why we're only seeing a six-part series and not a full-on television show and you don't see her anywhere else really talking about this no, but yeah. I mean, you go yeah. back, okay? You go back a few years previous to Debbie Lovato. I mean, when when they started doing this TV show of you know famous people who've had strange encounters, okay, uh, paranormal encounters, you know, it was all the all the D League stars of today, 
You know, I mean, people who were famous 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, right. getting some extra camera time, telling about a ghost story that they experienced, you know, whether it was Carney Wilson or whether it was somebody from the Brady Bunch or whether it was, you know, somebody from BJ and the Bear or or the Fall Guy going on that show to tell their their ghostly experience. Right. Do we really need to hear from Carney Wilson about her about her experience? No. We don't, because we know if we do our thinking, we know that Carney is not doing this to tell Carney's uh, ghost story. Carney is doing this so that way she could get the camera time to get her face back out on television. That's the reason why they do it. And it's kind of like where, you know, where the childhood actors are now from. Bingo. Yeah. From our generation growing up, it's like if they haven't been doing anything and if their career has been stagnant, then all of a sudden here they come. Uh, that's exactly it. I mean, I mean, look, it used to be infomercials. You turn on your television at night. There's Eric Estrada. There's, you know, uh, Morgan Fairchild. There's all of these actors and actresses that haven't been seen in decades showing up on the infomercial channel. Cause that's the only job acting job they could get. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, and that's exactly what we see with yeah. this. Yeah. I, um, I'm going to agree with you there. And I think the, that's part of the problem. I don't think Hollywood, there's a big disconnect between Hollywood and these actors and actresses who live in this bubble. And then they do something like this, but I, I'm going to be positive with people that are interested in this topic when they see, you know, and, and just the general populace of, of the world, when they see these people make these appearances and they come out of the woodwork, when you haven't heard from them in 15 years and they're going to tell their ghost story or whatever, I think a lot of people can smell the BS and they, they know really kind of down deep what's going on. I don't know a lot of people that wait on, weighted breath of what an actor or actress is going to say, whether it's about politics or about UFOs or about ghosts. I, you know, you'll, but, you'll always have the, you'll always have the diehard fans that'll follow somebody, you know, right off a cliff. But I, I kind of think, and I think that's what ultimately hurts. It this, does. But, but you're, what, what, Wayne, you're forgetting one important thing though. Okay. Social media followers. Ah, uh, ah, uh, yes. And Demi Lovato at 104 million plus followers on combined on Twitter and on Instagram has a lot of pull. And this word we have become, you know, and I hate this word. And I wish, you know, if there's certain words that I could see, I could pray that would ever be eliminated from the vocabulary. This is one of them. And that's that word influencer. Yep. Yes, absolutely. Okay. I hate that word. I, I, I try not to use it. Unfortunately, when you talk social media, you have to use it. And that's where a lot of these people are getting the jobs from because they're like, Oh, who haven't we heard from in a while? Who can we get cheap? And, who has still a large social media presence? There it is. Oh, well, all right. Well, when you have 104 million uh, followers and subscribers combined, 
that makes for if you can get five percent of that that's a big viewing audience on television a big viewing audience and that's all that matters because if you if if that show had 500 to a million uh viewers per night plus that's a lot of advertising money yep yep and that's all the networks care about all right dave i mean yeah I don't want to beat up on Demi too bad, (laughs) but you hinted to something and it's been sticking in the back of my mind now for about 45 minutes. And I've, I've got to hit you up with this. You went into the woods with a woman and you talk about, she took you to see an alien that was 12 to 14 feet tall. Can you elaborate? Can you tell us what was that all about? And I know Michelle's got a couple other questions she wants to ask you. Um, and I think that are pertaining to, you know, the, the UFO report that our government released and things like that. Sure. But, but before we do that, what was this about? And, and what went through your mind? What did you experience? Okay, uh, March twenty, March of twenty thirteen, no twenty fourteen. Wait a minute, did I don't you just know. say March of twenty fourteen? Yeah. Oh wow. Okay, March has a very significant meaning to us and people we interviewed about black triangles. All of our sightings in Michigan here have been sometime around March, and it seems to kind of, uh, uh, kind of connect with the March sightings of 1966 when all of that went down in Ann Arbor. Um, So anyways, I just thought I'd point that out, but go ahead. Okay. So in March of 2014, I don't know whether it was a dream. I don't know whether it was taken. So I'm going to lean more towards it being a dream. I was, um, I was, I I remember being in a bright white room. I could not see walls, but I knew they were there. I could not see the ceiling, but I knew it was there. I could not see the floor, even though I knew I was standing on it. And I heard this male voice come up to me and and said, because I was staying up until three, four, five in the morning, almost every night, trying to figure out what it was that I was seeing. I was all encapsulated in this phenomena story, you know, of what was happening to me. I didn't care about anybody else at that time. I didn't even know who Richard Dolan was. I knew the guy with the glasses and the curly hair and the weird, and the weird scientist guy with the big bushy eyebrows. All right. But I didn't know about who they were or what it was all about. And this male voice comes and I hear it kind of emanating all around me. It said, Dave, we no longer want you reading books. We no longer want you watching television shows. We don't want you watching movies. No more forums online regarding the phenomena. We don't want you researching any of it. And I said, well, how am I supposed to figure out what I am uh, going through if I can't research it? Like I can't, I don't understand. And this male voice said, the answer is simple you're allowed to watch YouTube videos. When I questioned why it said, because you'll be able to tell what is real and what is fake. 
all right, whatever. Okay, I, I, I'm, I'm this far into the game. I'm going to go down this path. Okay, so I'm like, cool, fine, let's do it. And a couple weeks later, over at my, uh, my, my partner was with our infant son over at our friend's house. And we called the place the farm. It was 10 acres, okay, on a two-house street. They had 10 acres. Their elderly neighbors had six and a half. And both properties were horseshoed by a forest that led into a ravine where there was a creek a couple hundred feet down. And this farm had incredible phenomena going on at all times. I, you know, I saw two Sasquatch there. Uh, there was a ton of, uh, you know, you just sit, stand outside. And it was so dark, you stand outside, you watch the trees, and all of a sudden you'd see the light, you know, flickering of fairies flying through the trees. And it was always something going on. And so we would go to the farm quite a bit and hang out there and kind of do our own little amateurish type of research. And on this particular night, I was driving... I had to work late on my daytime job and I was driving over to the farm. And when I was about 20 minutes away, I started getting a really bad migraine. I got to the farm and I sat down on the couch. My partner says to me, are you okay? I said, I have a migraine. I just need to sit down and relax for a little bit, and close my eyes. And she's like, well, do you want to go home and get in the shower? Because normally what I do is when I have a migraine, I go sit in a dark shower, put a washcloth over my eyes, just black everything out to try and relax me. I said, no, I think this time I'll be good. I just got here. You just got here. You know, let's just hang out with our friends for a while. She's like, okay. It was about half an hour later. I realized that the pain that I was getting from my migraine wasn't actually a migraine, but it was... Um, it was shapes pulsating in my head. It started as a circle in the, or as a square in the front, like by my face, it moved to the right side of my head as a triangle, and then moved to the left side of my head as a circle. And immediately I felt I needed to go outside. And, and in British Columbia, we have a lot, I guess anywhere near water uh, and major waterways, whether it's the ocean, whether it's, rainforest, whether it's by the Great Lakes or whatever, you get these weather patterns, real low misty cloud nights, if you know what I'm saying. Yep. And we had one of those nights. So I get this anxiety attack that I need to go outside ASAP. And I tell my partner this, and she's like, can I come with you? And I said, no, you need to stay inside with our boy. And then the other lady of the house, who I no longer speak of, she goes to her hubby, Dave is picking something up. We need to go outside right now. And I looked at her and I said, he can't come. He's not invited. Why would I tell somebody they're not invited onto their own property? Oh, right. Wow. So, so her and I go outside. She is very intuitive. Her and I go outside and dude it's like like when you talk about energy it's like it's like uh, cutting wood here the energy is so thick and 
we walked back behind the house about 50, 60 feet. And there's an old horse uh, fence there, two by 10 horse fence. We stand there and I kind of look at the lady and she's like, are you feeling this? I'm like, yeah. She goes, well, they called you outside. You know, you should say something. So I'm like, okay. So, so I said, out of God's peace, love and light, you called me outside. Can you please show me where you are? And as soon as I said, show me where you are, like a light switch went on by the forest in the neighbor's property, a UFO turned its lights on. Oh, wow. Oh, speaking of the, the, the well, in Dave, speaking of the UFOs and the report that was released in June from the U S government, what are your thoughts? Uh, my thoughts on that is it's complete narrative. It's complete narrative. Uh, why didn't they go past uh, 2004? What about Roswell? What about Kecksburg? What about uh, what about the Phoenix flights? What about Shag Harbor? What about other military involvement? What about Eisenhower? Yeah, there's a oh, lot that was missed. The, a lot the- that was missed. The, the the top two that you mentioned, the Phoenix Lights or uh, Phoenix Lights and Roswell are the, the first two that I, that came to mind for me as to why nothing was mentioned. Well, and and from my standpoint, I, I would think that the was it the Maelstrom uh nuclear missile sites that were taken offline by a a glowing orb or UFO that was shooting a beam down into the nuclear missiles and disabling them all. I mean, we know of that story, but where is that? What do we know about that? And what about USOs? You know, what are these things that are going into the water and people have reported them? uh, Was it shag Harbor, right? In Canada there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of cases out there regarding the phenomena. Yeah. Right. A lot of the cases regarding the phenomena we've known, thanks to uh, Robert Salas, about the nuclear missile sites since the 1970s and 80s. We've known this has happened. This isn't new news. This is the problem with the narrative. They're treating all of these stories like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe that that in the 1960s, 70s and 80s, that these missile sites were being shut down by UFOs. We've already known for 30 years. We just didn't want to admit it. Right. We didn't want to pay attention to these to these stories. So the fact that people are acting baffled and confused that, it, that this actually happened, wake up. And the government is, like I said, with the narrative, is playing the narrative perfectly. I was just going to say, is there argument to that? The reason they only go back so far is because they're sure. claiming that this... Uh, that that this report and what they're talking about is where they have like definitive sensor data. So radar, sonar, you know, these kind of things. And from, from before that, they don't have anything, but I thought these things were tracked and chased on radar in the sixties and seventies and airplane or jet fighters going down into the great lakes here. Um, that were giving chase and they were, you know, you could see two blips on the radar merge. I think that was called, 
Oh, I was just looking into this. A listener sent me a bunch of information on it. At Kin, Kin something. Kin Ross? Kin Ross, I think. Yeah, where one of these jets was pursuing a UFO and the radar, uh, you know, the radar tapes or whatever it was back in the day when they recorded these things, saw the two blips merged and then they were gone. And then there was they they gave the widow or the mother of the pilots the you know two separate stories about what happened to the the pilot in the I guess there was a, a co-pilot as well in this jet craft that you know one day one guy shows up and says they were lost in a training exercise or something, and then the next day, and I know I'm butchering all this. But and then the next day, somebody else shows up with a different reason why. And, 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 you know, you're looking at a ton of those stories. You know, anybody who buys the fact that the United States Navy, the most powerful, which is literally the most powerful military force on the planet. Yep. The United States Navy. I think we can all agree on that. All right. The, the U.S. Navy has air forces bigger than most as an air force bigger than most countries yep <laughs> like what aircraft carrier has more fighter jets than most countries out there and the point that i'm trying to make with all this is this if anybody buys the story that the u.s navy used to just throw these ufo reports away into the garbage and they didn't do anything with 2004 we want our pilots to come forward we want our radar technicians to come forward we want our admirals to come forward. Really? Are you kidding me? You guys have known for 70 years. Look, it all comes down to this. And Wayne, if, uh, to answer my question from a question is, if you were to look at the UFO Pandora's box that the United States government would not want the public to know about, what's in that box? Okay. What's in that box for me is aliens at Roswell. Well, I guess in that box for me, I would have to say, um, do they have recovered craft or material? Bingo. There's another one. Right. Look, what this does do and what a lot of people in ufology are not understanding is this opens up every conspiracy story out there. It opens up Bob Lazar. It opens up uh, Valiant Thor. It opens up eisenhower and whether or not he actually got his teeth tooth pulled at it from an emergency dental surgery or he was in at edwards air force base which was a different name back then and meeting with extraterrestrials trading humans for technology there is a lot of different things and conspiracies this opens us up to and we don't have a choice but to look into it, we don't because there is this Pandora's box of information out there that government does not want us to know. Okay. What about NASA? You can throw NASA in there in regards to almost every launch that NASA has had. They have videoed UFOs following their rockets into space. What about Neil Armstrong? Did he really speak on the channel, on the security channel, and say, yes, there is a Santa Claus? Or the other rumor, which is 
they are here, they are on the hill, and they are watching us. Yes, right, exactly. Okay. I mean, there are all of these little Pandora's box. What if the United States government, I'm going to throw something out at you here, statistically. And I learned this from Butch Witkowski. Every year in America, there are one, about approximately 1.3 million people who go missing annually. Now, when you when they trace all the evidence back from murders to kidnappings to child disputes in, in custody cases to child trafficking, human trafficking, women trafficking, to people who just want to go off the grid, to suicides, to to uh, gangland hits, everything. Okay. When you whittle the numbers down, it comes down to 65,000 Americans that are unaccounted for every single year. That's a scary number. That's a scary statistic. Okay. Where did they go? Then you look at somebody like who's doing incredible work, like, like uh, David Politis with the Can-Am missing 411 cases. Where did they go? Where did they disappear to? These are all things we need to figure out. These are all little byproducts stored in this UFO Pandora's box that we're not going to get answers to because the U.S. government doesn't want want people to know these answers. What if the U.S. Let's just just play hypotheticals here for a second. I'm not saying I believe this or not. Let's just play hypotheticals. What if Eisenhower did meet with extraterrestrials added American Air Force Base in 1954 and did make a deal to trade humans for technology. What if that number is 65,000 humans? With the 65,000 people that, that are proclaimed to go missing every year, you have to wonder if that number is anything to do with Eisenhower, as I had said. you know, And it opens up, as I said, this entire Pandora's box in ufology and trying to figure out what is real and what isn't? What is what is truthful and what isn't? Do we believe Bob Lazar now? Do we believe in Roswell that they found aliens? Do we believe all of this phenomena that is that is said to be happening but really isn't? You know, the denial of the DNI report going back previous to 2004 is incredulous at best. We right. don't know what to expect. We don't know where things are going. We don't know anything because what they're doing is they're playing to the mass popularity of what the To the Stars Academy brought out with those three videos. So the fact that that we're not seeing anything more is just is just ridiculous. You know, it really is ridiculous. And it and opens it, up. It, doesn't it open up more doors for the the conspiracy theories as well out there that that they're going to want to fill these gaps that are left by the, the lack of information from a report like this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And people should ask questions. The problem is you have a media who doesn't understand these topics who don't understand the questions that are being missed. We just don't get it. Right. Uh, We don't get it at all. Yeah. The, well, if there's anything we've seen over the last few years, and it seems to be growing at an exponential rate, is the media basically showing their true colors and they're losing control 
of of controlling that narrative and they're losing mm-hmm. ground to people like you and and other broadcasters on the internet that's why they want to start clamping down on it because they can no longer control the narrative when if you ask pretty much any american here do you trust the the mainstream media cnn any of them they'll tell you hell no absolutely they'll tell you hell hell no and as they should tell you hell no right because the problem is the problem that we have here is that the media and, and i hate to say this because it's a beautiful career but the media has really shot themselves in the foot instead of telling stories uh, with point and counterpoint they're going by audience reaction all right social media especially twitter can be blamed for that because twitter every the thing in media is you always want to be first that's the big right. thing in media you want to you want to be first with the story the facts don't matter you want to be first yeah and that's what hurts all right well dave you Wait. know it's been great having you on and we know tonight. that your battery life is getting low yes. so one final question because we have sure. to ask this it's like our signature question um do you have any ties to the state of michigan do i have family no uh friends i've had friends play college hockey in michigan okay uh, this is going back a, lo- a long time you know i used to be a big detroit red wings fan ah uh, yes you know back in the day of steve eiserman but mainly bob probert absolutely player oh, yeah. yes player ever in the nhl you know god rest his soul so, Let, let's just I talk lost. about the yeah probert and lemieux and uh but uh bob probert my favorite nhl player of all time all right and then one last thing how can people learn more about you spaced out radio and do you have anything coming up that you want people to know about we are releasing this on thanksgiving so well you know what you can always tune into us uh we are there nightly for you seven days a week on spacedoutradio.com you can check out our schedule i ask everybody if you don't mind uh, give us a follow on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, on Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and now on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Uh, we're really trying to move our efforts forward more than we've ever before on social media. So we ask that anybody could, who could follow us, do take the time, give us a follow. We always got really cool information out there for you. It's been great you are a gracious man for allowing us to come on your show and then returning the favor and coming on ours. We absolutely appreciate it. You are a wealth appreciate of knowledge you and you definitely own the night. <laughs> definitely. Thank that you. tag That tagline belongs to you for sure. So with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to say good night to Mr. Dave Scott and make sure you check him out and spaced outradio.com and there's links and information everywhere on his webpage. Follow him on Facebook, hit up YouTube, TikTok, all the social media. And Dave, once again, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Appreciate you guys. You guys have a wonderful night and I had a lot of fun with you and we'll do it again. All right. All right sounds, sounds good. Great. Talk to you later, Dave. Bye-bye. Boy, I wish we would have had a better reception at times. I hate when interviews cut out like that. Yeah, I know. Unfortunately, Dave could only join us 
by cell phone. Well, here's the thing. What that means is that we've been on his show now. He's been on ours. And we're due for at least a part two with him because we need to talk. Oh, yeah. Big fight. There, yes. We got to get into the cryptids. I mean, we just barely scratched the surface in this interview. And, uh, man, it was it was great to talk to him about all of these things. And, we got to uh, get him sitting still. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Driving around in a car in the mountains of British Columbia is probably not the best place to try to have good cell phone reception. I was going to say, it's like how many miles in between or hundreds of miles in between with cell phone towers? Yeah. Jeez, uh, forget about it. Uh, definitely good good times uh, to be had once again. Yep. And so with that being said, Michelle, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap this one up. What do you think? Yeah, we're going to kick off this Thanksgiving break, everyone. Yep. So everybody, make sure to check us out on YouTube. Hit that like and subscribe button. We're now on Instagram. Go find us on Instagram and do a follow. We're on Twitter. You name it. We're starting to get out there even more. So thank you very much, everybody, for listening. Have a great night, everyone. And have a happy Thanksgiving. And remember, especially now, keep your eyes to the sky. You have been listening to the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. You can reach us at mi.ufo.podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at mi underscore UFO and join our Facebook group by searching for Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters. So until next time.